Good morning, church family. So very thankful for you this morning. So um, last week, uh, you know, was Pentecost Sunday. And so if you weren't here or uh, you missed it, we talked about uh, Pentecost, uh, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we saw it was uh, what we called the birth of the church age uh, and the beginning of what the Bible calls the last days concerning God's redemptive plan. And so at Pentecost, when God poured his spirit out, uh, that, is, that is what happened. That is what started. And so this morning, uh, today on what is called Trinity Sunday in the church calendar, I want us to see that it is also uh, the age of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are living in the age of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? I want to share a quote with you uh, from John Piper, uh, quoting John Owens, book on the Holy Spirit. So don't miss it. We have John Daniel quoting John Piper, quoting John Owens. Okay, this is a trifecta of John's this morning, okay? That's what he says. The Bible portrays for us a history of redemption with three major divisions that reveal progressively the three persons of the Trinity, Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before the first coming of Christ, the great testing truth was the oneness of God's nature and his monarchy overall, especially with respect to God the Father. When Christ came, the great question was whether a people orthodox on the first point would recognize and receive the incarnate Son of God in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. Then after the Son had gathered a people who received him, he was put to death, raised up and exalted to the Father's right hand, from which he sent the Holy Spirit with a new prominence upon the church. Before Christ's coming, the prominence of God the Father. During the days of Christ's earthly life, the prominence of God the Son. And since the ascension of the Son, the prominence of God the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we live in a unique climactic period of redemptive history, the days of the Spirit. And so what began at Pentecost, we are still experiencing today. Piper goes on to emphasize that because of this, we bear, you and I, a special responsibility to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what his work is in and among the church. So this morning, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement, and it's why I shared with you, I could not say it better than John Piper quoting John Owens. Uh, but we live in an age where we have a responsibility to understand the Holy Spirit. And so this morning we're going to look at what Jesus said concerning this third person, the Trinity, on the final night he was with his disciples. And so I kind of want to get us, uh, stop and get our bearings for a minute, where, where we're going to find ourselves this morning. Uh, Jesus has had the, his last supper with his disciples. Uh, as we've celebrated today, the observance of that, he has celebrated that. He has washed the disciples' feet, and Judas has left betray him and so Judas is gone to betray him and then after our text today we find in John 17 the great priestly prayer of Jesus that ends right before uh, he is betrayed and led ultimately to the cross and so that begins his passion with mock trials and the beatings and all of those things and so it's between the end of the supper and his priestly prayer in John 17 that we find this teaching, it has rightly been called his encouragement discourse or his farewell address. That is, this is kind of his final moments with his disciples as recorded by the Apostle John. So today is a kind of different sermon. Uh, we usually take a piece of scripture and we dig into it and we spend a lot of time with it. Uh, and today is going to be more of an overview sermon. Uh, where We're going to look at all three chapters of John 14, 15, and 16, and try to get to the essence of what John is saying concerning the Holy Spirit. 
which, by the way, is his primary source of encouragement to his disciples, the idea that the Spirit is coming. And so before you get uh, too uh, worried that I'm going to go through 14, 15, and 16, uh, we're going to go rather quickly through them all. There's a lot of different ways we can uh, look at sermons and preaching and even reading texts in your own quiet time. There are many approaches we can take, and they've been equated to, and I thought this is a good analogy, they've been equated uh, equated to uh, traveling. Uh, if you've ever flown before uh, and you look out the window, you can identify these large landmarks and right, it all kind of all the pieces fit together. And you may even say, like, I, I, I know I live around this area somewhere, but there's a big picture view. And then if you were to drive through that same area, you would see even more, right? But you'd have to remind yourself of how it fit into the greater context because you can only see so far. And then if you were to stop and walk through an area, you would observe even more details, right? And ultimately you could sit down. Uh, and get down to the smallest rose bush or, or grade of grass and really observe what is going on. And, and Scripture is a, a similar to that. Uh, we often walk through Scripture. We, uh, here on Sunday morning, it's my favorite approach. We take our time. We, we're not too big of a piece. We kind of spend some time with it. But this morning, I want us to kind of drive through these passages uh, so that we will kind of get an idea of what Jesus says here about the Holy Spirit. And so I think that's a good thing to do with this encouragement discourse and We'll stop from time to time to get a closer look. And so as we begin this morning, I want to share, uh, keeping with the driving idea, some navigational notes uh, in this passage. Uh, One of the things we have to understand right in the beginning, and you can probably tell by the sermon art, is this passage is overwhelmingly Trinitarian. Uh, Jesus refers to himself, to God the Father, and God the Spirit over and over again in these passages as distinct persons, but then he also kind of seamlessly moves between his work, the Spirit's work, and the Father's work in a united and cohesive way where distinctions become difficult to make. This is the very essence of what we must acknowledge when dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity. It has been said, if you talk about the Trinity long enough, you will end up in heresy. Uh, Because it it is a mystery to us. As much as we want to understand it, and every analogy that you could could think of falls short, and many of them fall into the range of heresy, there's a reason we call it a mystery. Because our finite human minds can never fully comprehend the truth of the Trinity. But listen, we can, by following Scripture and the influence of the Holy Spirit, apprehend the truth of the Trinity, that God is one in essence, three in person. We may never fully comprehend it, but if we'll follow Scripture, we can apprehend it. Amen? So, this is important because as we discuss the Holy Spirit, we have to maintain the tension of distinction between the persons while not dividing the essence of God. As stated in a creed of the church, it says, We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. And so the next 35, 40 minutes, I will do my best. To not wander into heresy, if you will do your best to engage the text before you. Sound like a deal? All right. Grab your Bibles and open to John 14. John chapter 14. As you turn there, here's the roadmap we're going to be following today. Uh, We're going to start with the promise of God's, the Spirit's presence. We're going to continue with the explanation of His work. And we're going to conclude with the Jesus' declaration of His ministry. So before we get into the text, let us pray this morning. Father God, we come before you this morning. And Father, we are 
seeking you to move and speak through your Holy Spirit. Father, as we read your word, as we seek to understand it better, Father, we pray that you would move and speak here this morning, that we would leave here with a better understanding of who you are, who the Holy Spirit is, and ultimately who Jesus is. Father, we pray that you would give me clarity of thought and speech, that you would give the receivers, the hearers, open ears and open hearts, open minds to receive the truth that you have for us today. As we begin this morning, we ask your blessing on all things here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we begin our journey through John 14 through 16, we, we start with the presence of the Holy Spirit promised. That is the first thing we need to, to understand is that Jesus in this passages, in these chapters, he promises the Holy Spirit. One of the most, uh, the first things we notice when we read through John 14 through 16 and his teaching on the Holy Spirit is all of the personal pronouns he uses repeatedly throughout the discourse. He does not refer to the Spirit as an it or an impersonal uh, force. He uses the personal pronouns, and, and I just underlined a few of them. He says, you know him. He dwells with you. He will be in you. He will teach you. He will bear witness of me. I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict. Finally, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he has, he will, or hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Over and over again, Jesus referred to the Spirit as a person. Just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, there, there are distinct persons in the Godhead. As a matter of fact, after clarifying his own relationship to the Father and declaring himself to be the way to the Father in the first 14 verses, he begins encouraging the disciples by promising the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pick up in John 14, verse 15, if you have your Bibles. It'll be on the screen. Um, if you don't, or there's a pew Bible in front of you. John 14, we'll begin in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so it's important to see, not only does he use a personal pronoun for the spirit, he describes the spirit's role in personal terms. He says the spirit will be another helper. The implication there is then... His own earthly presence with the disciples will be similar to that of the coming of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Spirit will carry on or continue Jesus' ministry of presence with the disciples. The term another helper, translated here, helper, is the Greek word polakletos, translated comforter, counselor, advocate, and other English translations. You could Maybe one of yours says it a different way, but I like the ESV translation because helper covers all of those aspects very well. Yes, he is a comforter. Yes, he is a counselor. Yes, he is uh, the advocate. But in the way that Jesus introduces him here in this promise is that he would come and continue Jesus' ministry to the disciples with his presence. And so I think helper is a very appropriate description of who he will be and who he is, right? So it says helper because the Holy Spirit would come and continue His ministry. Think about how Jesus helped his disciples with his presence. He taught them. 
uh, with his words and his actions. He corrected them when they needed. He empowered them to go out and be witnesses. He served them. He interpreted situations in light of the truth of who God is and what he's doing. He says, hey, you see this, but this is what this means, right? He helped guide them, lead them. He helped them not only enter the kingdom of God, but to understand it better day by day. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will continue that ministry of being a helper to his disciples. Not only with them, but he says they would dwell in them where they had walked with Jesus and had the spirit with them. Now God would dwell in them. His presence more manifested to them than it ever had been. See, they thought they were losing something because Jesus said I was he was going away and they were saddened and they were discouraged. And he said, listen, you're not losing something. In the end, it's to your advantage I go away because you're going to gain something. Where you have been with me and the Spirit has been with you now, God is going to spend the Spirit to be in you and to dwell in you, right? That's the promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit. God would send him to minister and to help and to uh, be with the believers. I love this because in 1 John, after all of this, John is writing the church probably as an older man. And he begins in First in John concerning Jesus' time on earth. He says, listen, I heard him, I saw him, I touched him with my hands. He was literally and bodily in my presence day after day. However, he specifically says that his presence didn't end when he ascended. Rather, he says, I still have fellowship with him and the Father because of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Right? John says, I live with them. I eat with them. I, I, I touched him, I, I shared with him, I, I, I saw him, I heard him, and yet I am still fellowshipping with him because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we understand that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead, and we can experience his presence in our lives through the indwelling. Because he has been sent by God the Father on behalf of God the Son, which is exactly what Jesus promised his disciples would happen. Let's look briefly at this promise Jesus made in John 14. So we've looked at the presence he promises and the promise itself. He says um, he will ask the Father and the Father will give them another helper, the spirit of truth to dwell in them. I want you to notice two things about this promise. It is neither temporary nor arbitrary, right? He says it's not temporary and then he says he will dwell with you forever. I was only here with you for a short time, and I'm going to the Father, but the Spirit that he will send to be present with you is, will be with you forever. And it is not arbitrary in the fact that Jesus says the world cannot receive him. This is an important understanding. When Jesus fulfilled his promise at Pentecost, it was not an indiscriminate pouring out of his Spirit. Not everyone in that vicinity received the Spirit. Now, we saw last week that it was... Um, inclusive, young, old, male, female, free, slave, Jew, Gentile, anyone who was there believing in God and in Jesus received the Spirit. That was a prerequisite for being indwelt. They must belong to and be obedient to Jesus. So Jesus says he will pour out his Spirit. He'll be with them forever, but there is a distinction made. Not everyone will receive the Spirit in this way, the presence of the Spirit. It is to those that belong to and are obedient to Jesus. That's the promise he made. He said, to those who love me and keep my commandments. In John 14, 21, if you want to follow along, he says this, 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. When you get to the heart of the commandment of the Father, it's to believe in the Son. And when you get to the heart of the commandment of the Son, it's to believe in him. And having believed that he is God in the flesh, obeying what he has commanded and taught, chiefly to repent of your sins and to follow on this side of Pentecost, on this side of the promise, when you repent and confess Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. That is the promise of the presence of God. Jesus says, when he goes and ascends into heaven, he will send the Holy Spirit to all those who love him and keep his commandments. Those who obey him to repent and to trust in him, he will send his spirit. And so you have this promise of the Spirit's presence fulfilled at Pentecost. God says he will manifest himself to you in the Holy Spirit. And I love that Jesus says, in this, we will come, right? The Father loves you, I love you, and we will come. And that is the unity that we see in the Trinity. So God makes his promise. And so let's look at what Jesus says the work of the Holy Spirit will be. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit explained. And so Jesus is going to tell them what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And we've already acknowledged that Jesus or has said that the Holy Spirit will continue the work that he began with his disciples by being another helper. But Jesus specifically highlights two primary works of the Spirit. He says he will teach and he will bear witness. And so we'll look at the first uh, in John 14, 25 through 26. And they'll be on your screen. Jesus talking to the disciples says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And so Jesus here says, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to teach you. And don't forget, Jesus has spent now a little over three years teaching his disciples. Day in and day out, they, they traveled together, they lodged together, they ate together, they worked together, right? Like they have been together for three years, and Jesus, it does not look like, wasted any time, any moment, making a teaching moment. Whether they were fishing, or having dinner, or they were in someone's house, or they were traveling, like as they were walking along the way, Jesus is constantly teaching the disciples. Instructing, expounding, correcting, but he now acknowledges here that their learning is not complete. And a little later, he says this, apart from the indwelling of the Spirit, you can't even bear everything I need to tell you, right? We'll, we'll see that scripture in a minute. So Jesus says, listen, I've been teaching you and I've been instructing you. And all of the things that I've taught you, it's, it's not finished. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. In essence, Jesus says here that the Spirit will be the teacher that teaches you everything you need to know. Will he teach us everything? No, because we don't need to know everything. But what he means by all things is the Spirit will not withhold anything we need for life and faith. He will teach us all things that we 
me. God is not withholding any truth from us. He has sent his spirit to teach us everything we need for life and faith. And then the second part of this, he says, he will bring to your remembrance. I like the Strong's Concordance literal definition of this word, to remind quietly. I love that. That that is the closest thing I can think of my personal experience with the speaking of the Holy Spirit is to remind quietly. Quietly, The idea is that he brings us something to mind in a conversation. Or while I'm reading scripture, he provides a, a, a cross-reference. Or while I'm counseling someone, he, he brings a truth of God or a scripture of God to mind. It's that quiet working of the Spirit. He is drawing from my previous encounter with the truth. He is bringing to remembrance what I have read, what I have studied. And this is where we have to acknowledge If we have a lack of his work in our lives, it may be because we're not spending time in the truth the way that we should. How can the Holy Spirit bring to mind something we haven't put in, right? How you can't remind something of somebody they they don't know. And so we have to be diligent to spend time in the word so that God can bring through the Holy Spirit these things to remembrance. Uh, I think in our class uh, last week, the week before, he says that, you know, he can't draw out of an empty deposit, right? If you didn't deposit anything in, you can't go to the bank. And withdraw things, right? In the same way, we, we hide scripture in our heart and our mind so that, that the Holy Spirit can bring them to remembrance. I find it interesting that in the same way Jesus himself does this for disciples in this very discourse. John 15, 20, he says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus is literally modeling what this would look like. Remember what I said, right? Remember what you read? Remember what the pastor said out of that scripture? Like, it's this remembrance that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind. And the same way the the Spirit's continued teaching would work similarly, it would include both teaching further things and bringing to remembrance what Jesus had already taught them and what they had witnessed concerning them. Listen, I love this because John, the Apostle John, testifies of the reality of this back in John 12 when he adds this commentary to the gospel account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so John is writing... This historical account of, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and he adds this little parenthetical note. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Right? That's his note to say, I didn't get it, but after the Spirit came, I remembered. I remember what he said. I remember what he did, and it made sense. I remember what was written about him in the scriptures. And then even as early as the second chapter of John, he was adding these little notes. John 2, 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So all throughout his, God, his account, he's writing these little notes that says, we didn't get it. But when the spirit came, he brought to remembrance what Jesus said, what he taught, what he meant, what the Holy, the Holy Old Testament said about him. And so he's, he's kind of giving us all these little notes And listen, the Spirit's teaching work in the disciples is recorded for us in the New Testament, in Acts, in the epistles, in Revelation. It's even sprinkled through the Gospels. Like the Spirit led them into the further truth, and it's recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures. That's why we say they're inspired. They're inerrant. Because it was God inspiring the disciples to write further revelation that the church needed. Before we move on to the second work that Jesus mentions, I do want to stop and make a few remarks about the Spirit's work in the believer's life concerning his teaching ministry. 
it is my position, one that I feel is both scriptural and true, that the spirit after the canon of scripture was closed is not teaching new things. That's what I mean by that. That isn't to say that that is to say the revelation of God is complete in Christ. And we have recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures everything we must know. We need to know the spirit's teaching role has changed from one of inspiration to one of illumination. Right. So he can certainly give us insight into our situations. He could certainly expound and illuminate the things that he previously uh, inspired. But be wary of anyone who claims to have a word directly from God apart from his written word. Now, I will never limit God to what he can do, but I will say, as I understand his work and his truth, that is not normative or to be expected. Because God has given us everything we need for life and faith and recorded it and kept it and preserved it and delivered it to us as he will do until he returns. Less times than I can count on my finger, my hand, God has impressed something so forcefully on my heart and mind that I would have described it as hearing from the Lord in what would almost be an audible sense. And every time it drove me deeper into obedience to his word. Right. If God does speak and move, it will be in conjunction with this, not apart from it. So the reason we need to be so uh, committed to reading and studying and hiding it in our hearts so that when God speaks to us, we will know that it is consistent with what? He says, listen, it is important that we understand this because if we do not understand the way that he teaches, we will be easily led astray by our either own desires of the flesh or someone who is twisting scripture. God inspired the apostles to write to God inspired through the Holy Spirit to record teaching about the Lord's Supper, about his second coming. Right. About how to act, how to behave in the church, how to treat elders. Right. Like he, give, he gave us all of this. This is what Jesus meant when he said he will guide you into all things. Right. He will tell you the things to come. I do not think that Jesus meant that he would continue that ministry. I do believe that I do believe he means that once he finished that, he would move to inspiration. In addition to teaching, Jesus says the work of the spirit will be to bear witness of Jesus. I love this because after spending much of what is labeled chapter 15 in your in your Bibles, uh, testifying of himself that he is the true vine, that he was the one that chose the disciples, that he testified of the unbelief of the world and who he was. This is what he says in John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. the spirit would continue to bear witness consistent with what Jesus said concerning himself. I don't often uh, share illustrations about YouTube, but I was recently watching a, a video on YouTube and it was, it was a funny video. And I only say this because uh, I thought when I was, it was, it was brought to mind when I was reading these passages and in the video, essentially it's, it's a humorous video, but it gets to an essential point in discussing popular topics uh, in society concerning what Jesus did and did not say on topics such as sexuality, politics, life. In essence, it said, listen, if you don't believe that Jesus is God and that he is alive, I really don't care about what else you think about what he said. Because he said both of those things, right? He was God 
and he is alive. And if you don't believe that testimony, I really don't care what you think about what else he said or didn't say. And I thought, what a wonderful way to evaluate whether or not we should be listening to someone. Do they confess the most basic thing? Is he alive and is he God? And if they don't, we really don't need to go any further about what he said or didn't say because they haven't accepted the basic tenets of what he did say concerning himself. It's funny, but it was also very touching. John himself says it this way in his first letter. Ultimately, by the way, fulfilling what Jesus said here, that the Spirit would lead them into further truth. John, 1 John 5, 6, if you want to follow along. This is who he came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself, the spirit. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John testified in this moment in agreement with the testimony of the Spirit, which is the same testimony Jesus gave. God gave us eternal life through his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is so important for our understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 John 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how will we know which spirits are from God and which spirits are not? He says this, By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God test of whether or not someone has the spirit of God and is speaking the truth is that they confess the same thing the spirit says of Christ because that is one of his primary works he came to do is testify to who Christ is who the son is and so the spirit confesses and testifies and witnesses of who the son is and so we've seen the presence of the Holy Spirit promised we've seen the work of the Holy Spirit and we kind of come to this final stopping point in this discourse We'll look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Kind of think of it this way. The ministry is a combined result of his presence and his work, right? So the ministry of the Holy Spirit declared. Jesus is going to declare what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Whenever we talk about ministry in this way, we're kind of always talking about the culmination of both presence and work, right? Like this makes sense. Like my ministry here wouldn't be much of ministry if I wasn't here. Right. No matter what I did for you, it'd be hard pressed to describe ministry. And if I was here but didn't do anything, hopefully you wouldn't keep me. But second, it wouldn't be described as ministry. Right. It is both my presence and my work that, that leads to ministry among you. Right. And the Holy Spirit is the same way. Jesus promised that he would be present and he said he would work. And so the culmination of those two things is the promise and the encouragement to the disciples in the form of his coming ministry. Remember, all of this is encouragement. Disciples are saddened, they're upset, and this is kind of the culmination of everything Jesus had said so far. This is what the Holy Spirit is going to do among you. So, 
First, we look at those, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to those apart from Christ. We find that in John 16, verse 4. We're going to read there through 11. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Or see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus essentially repeats the promise. If I go, I will send him to you. And then he says, and when he comes, he will convict the world. The idea of conviction is exposing something that is wrong with the general idea that shame will accompany the exposure. There's a great example of this that Jesus uses the same word in a different context when he instructs his disciples and how to handle a brother sinning against them, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. That's the same word. Like go, go expose the fault, go expose the sin so that he will experience the shame and repent, right? And, if he, and it goes on, if he doesn't, take it to two or three. They don't, take it to the church, right? Like the idea is this constant exposing. And so in a similar manner, the Holy Spirit will come expose the sin of the world to their shame. Remember, the world is, when the Bible talks about the world, it is usually talking about all those apart from God. And they're all of their systems that are represented here. And so this is the ministry of the Spirit to those apart from God. And his ministry of conviction he is given three areas. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And each one of those uh, will take individually sin, Jesus says, because they do not believe in me. To reject God. To reject Christ, rather, is to reject God and to remain in your sin. So he says they're, they're judged or concerning, convicted concerning the sin because they do not believe in me. Unbelief is a source from which all sin originates. And Jesus says their sin, they are in their sin because they do not believe in him. And the cross-reference in John 8 is this. I told you, he's talking to the Pharisees, that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus says that the unbelief is the judgment of the sin, the concerning the sin. The Spirit will convict of that sin. Also of righteousness, because I go to the Father. Jesus going to the Father, sitting down victoriously, and pouring out the Spirit are all signs of God's acceptance to him, of his righteousness, his perfectly sinless life. He becomes the standard of righteousness. And so how does the Spirit convict of righteousness? All he needs to do is remind me of the sinlessness of Christ, and I realize the depth of my unrighteousness before God. Like, I can be pretty good when I compare myself to my, my neighbor, right, the, the, the guy across town, right? Like, we talked about this in, in Bible study this morning. Uh, we can always feel like we're good if we find someone to compare ourselves to that's just a little worse off than us. Jesus is the standard of righteousness. Not your neighbor, not your family, not your pastor, not your Bible study teacher. Jesus is the standard of righteousness, and it is perfect. And so when we evaluate ourselves in light of his righteousness, we will always find ourselves as unrighteous. And so the Spirit comes to convict of sin, of unbelief, of unrighteousness through the righteousness of Christ, and of judgment. 
He says, because the ruler of this world is judged. That is, Christ defeated sin, death, and the grave on the cross, rendering Satan powerless and once and for all displaying his victory over evil. And so I love this because even in the Holy Spirit's ministry here, it's all about Jesus. Sin because they do not believe in me. Righteousness because I go to the Father, right? It's all concerning Jesus. Judgment because I've defeated the the ruler of this world. And so how does the Holy Spirit convict the world? By holding up Jesus as God's Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life, the only righteous one who defeated Satan in his death, burial, and resurrection, right? Like that is how the Holy Spirit convicts the world. He testifies of who Jesus is. And we talked about that this morning in in Bible study, and maybe you did too in your class, but Moses holding up the bronze serpent, right? Like lifting him up and the people looking to him. The Holy Spirit lifts up Jesus and witnesses and testifies of who he is. And the ending result is those that are apart from Jesus will experience conviction and be drawn to him. You see why I said his ministry is the culmination of his presence and his work? Jesus says that he will bear witness to himself, to Christ, through his presence. And when he does that, men and women will come face to face with their sin, their unrighteousness, and their guilt before God. Every person who has ever been born again has come face to face with those three things. Their sin, their unrighteousness, and their guilt before God. And because of Jesus, they have experienced forgiveness, been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and are free and guiltless before God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, the first part. The second aspect of his ministry is to believers. John 16, 12, and we'll try to move quickly. It's a slow drive, right? I slowed down a little bit, but we'll, we'll, we'll speed up a little bit. John 12, uh, 16, 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, uh, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for you will not speak on his own authority, Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are come. He will glorify me, for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said to you that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. For the believer, Jesus says, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. In the same way Jesus guided the disciples into the truth, the Holy Spirit would continue his work among his people. And here the unity of the Trinity is beautifully illustrated. The Father sent the Son... The Son sent the Spirit. Jesus said he only spoke what the Father commanded, and now he says the Spirit will do the same. In the same way, Jesus declared the things of the Father, now the Spirit will declare the things of the Son, right? Like it's a beautiful representation of the Godhead in unity. The disciples, by being with Jesus and witnessing his work and hearing his words, they had began to understand the the kingdom of God. They had begun to understand the things of God and the the. what it means to have life in God. He says, but there's some things they could not understand until the Holy Spirit came and he would increase their ability to understand which is what we have recorded for us in the New Testament. The Spirit made the Son more fully known. And so we get the beautiful Christological passages that we read in Colossians. We get the teachings of Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians, right? We get John's revelation. We get Peter's letters. Like, we get more of who Christ is because the Spirit did exactly what Christ said it would do. He guided them into truth, and now he guides us into the truth. 
so that we may fulfill our ministry of being witnesses who are being conformed to the image of Christ, and we may declare the kingdom of the Son to all who would hear. Jesus, in sending the Spirit, ensured that we would have everything we need to live out our calling to follow him. At the end of the day, that was his encouragement to the disciples. I've called you, I've taught you, I've led you, and now I'm going to give you the thing you need to fulfill your calling, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And listen, that is the encouragement for you and I today. The person of the Holy Spirit has come, and as promised, he comes to dwell in all those who believe. And listen, we've barely scratched the surface of who he is and what he does, but I pray that you understand better who he is and why he came a little bit more than when we started. Listen, for the believer, my encouragement would be for you to lean into your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Listen for his guidance. Spend time in the word so that he may have a deep well to draw forth from, to bring to mind God's truth and allow him to work through your testimony to reach those in the world. Listen, God desires to walk and talk with you in this life so much that on behalf of Christ who died for you, he sent the spirit to be your helper, your comforter, and your guide. That's how much he wanted to dwell with him. For the one who may not be sure about this whole Christianity thing yet, right? Like maybe someone invited you, maybe you're a family member, but I pray that you heard today this truth. God calls you to a relationship. He wants you to be in a relationship with him. He wants to be God. He wants to be your father, not some distant divine idea. And God does that through the Holy Spirit. First his conviction, and then his indwelling. He may be speaking to you today concerning your sin or your rebellion or not believing in Jesus and his atoning death for your sins. I pray, if God is speaking to you through his spirit, that you would heed his call. The eternal triune God desires that none would perish, but that all would come to saving knowledge of Christ through repentance. Let's pray. Before we pray, I just want to say a few things to you while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. You fall into one of two listeners this morning. One, you're a believer. You know what it's like to have the Spirit dwell in you. And I pray, as I've said, that you would spend these next few moments just celebrating what God has done in you, praying that he would continue to move and lead and guide you into all truth. Or you're a non-believer. That is, you've never repented and trusted in Christ for salvation and the Spirit does not dwell in you. Rather, His ministry to you right now is one of conviction, of convincing, of testifying to who Christ is. And if that is happening in your heart, in your mind right now, I want to tell you how you respond. You acknowledge the truth that Jesus is God, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior who came and lived a sinless life, died on the cross in your place, was raised and ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit as evidence of God's acceptance of his sacrifice. And you place your trust in that. And you can do that from where you are. No amount of walking an aisle will save you. No amount of baptism will save you. No amount of someone praying for you will save you. You are saved when you allow the Holy Spirit to Bring new life into you to be born again. 
as we talked about this morning, and you can do that from where you are in this moment, cry out to God. My encouragement to you in the next few moments is when we stand to sing this last hymn, that you would just make your way out to share that decision with Brittany and I. We'll be at the front. It's not to embarrass you or or to to call you out. I want to encourage you. I want to pray with you. I want to thank God for you. I want to resource you, get you some scripture, get you some books that could help in your new life. Because ultimately, if you do that, if you cry out to him, the Bible says that you are born again.